Moses had said to Israel that those who had obeyed God, God kept them alive. Now, I find that fascinating. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible as we do every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And I encourage you to join us. Bible Discovery TV is learning from God. Right now, Corey is with us. Corey? Today, I'm going to be taking a look at the cities of refuge and just how they functioned in ancient Israel, or at least were supposed to function. Brian? Well, today I'm going to be exploring just how important the Arnon River was and is to all forms of life. All right. Very good. Janice? Welcome to Friday again. That means we have a Friday fun-filled wrap-up question, and it's going to be based anywhere from Numbers chapter 21 through to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I hope you're ready. I hope Ryan and Corey is ready. We'll find we'll out. See. <laughs> Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 8. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him? And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, the last book of Moses. Now, this is amazing, and it's interesting as we study. I'm, I'm excited about the passage today. If you, if you don't know, well, let me tell you, I'm excited about it. It's very good because history is full of examples of people rising from next to nothing and becoming great leaders, conquerors, and revolutionaries, only to lose their success because of their pride. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. And again, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, by pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. In fact, the New Testament is also full of passionate warnings against personal pride. 
Pride is only the enemy of the believer because the believer, the person, becomes lost in himself. He becomes blind to his own faults and a pronouncer of his own righteousness and his own wisdom. A prideful person fails to hear God and to carry out God's ways. Now, Moses speaks to the nation of Israel and reminds them that their greatness is because of God's work. It is not due to their own ideas. It is not because of their own strength. It is not because of who they are. It is because God has chosen to give them grace. And I want to tell you, that's an important thing for us to remember today. Now, take your Bible guide, and this is the Bible guide. If you don't have one, why not? You can call us or write to us and send for it. If you call us, it's faster. But if you go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible guide, it takes you directly to the donate page. Thank you for your donations. And then you can download it. And uh, I, I just would say, I want to say thank you for your donations. They really mean a lot to us. They keep us alive during this time. It's very, very important. Nevertheless, as we focus on this, we need to turn our minds towards the pride problem. Father, help us today not to have a pride problem. A lot of people talk about pride today. We should be proud of this and proud. Hold on, Lord. What do you say? Pride is not about us. Everything is about you, Lord. We serve you. So in Jesus' name, help us to hear that today. And we said together, amen. Now remember, I am not a promoter of self-esteem, but I'm a promoter of God-esteem, who then promotes us so that we don't treat ourselves because we're creations of God. It's a very big difference here. Okay, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe. He's saying, listen, that you may live. You can be alive and live and go and possess the land which the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, is giving you. God is doing this. Moses reminds Israel that it is God who has given them the land. The Lord has given us everything we need to accomplish what he has called us to do. All right, let's keep that in mind. Now we get up and we're going to go do what we want to do. But hold on a minute. What if we change the way we pray in the morning and say, Lord, I need to do what you want me to do. God will give us what we need to accomplish because every day, every single day for the rest of your life, every day, doesn't matter what you're doing or where you might be retired, doesn't matter. God has a plan for the day in your life. And we should see God's plan for that day because God calls us all to give our testimony to people. God calls us to lead people to him. That becomes very important. All right. Let's go on into the next verse because it gets interesting. You shall not add to the word which I command you. Don't add to it, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all of the men who followed Baal of Peor, the false god. But you who held fast to the Lord, your God, 
are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go in to possess. Now, this is important. Moses reminded Israel that those who were obedient to God were alive. We will hold on to the ways of God. When we hold on to the ways of God, his commandments and his grace, we succeed. He is always there to protect us, even when the world's gone crazy. Jesus said, I'll be with you till the end of the age. Matthew 28. He said, I'm going to be with you. So I want to focus you and everything you go through, I will go through you with everything you go through. I'll go with you. And we need to keep that in mind because there's lots of things that are in front of us, but we just need to trust in God and allow him to work in our lives, beloved. That's so very important. Now let's go back to the scripture because six to eight are very interesting. It says, therefore, be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all of these statutes and they will say, surely this great nation, this is a wise nation. This is an understanding people. For what great nation is there that God so near to it? God is so near to it as the Lord our God is to us. For whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all of this law, which I set before you this day. Did you hear that? That's important. When we are diligent to remember and obey the Lord, that is the beginning of our wisdom. Free speech and free choice is never as good as following the ways of God. I tell people this and I'll get people that'll be mad at me and write me letters and all that, but I don't have free speech. My speech is under the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't just go say what I want. I'm careful because as a sinner, I can say things in a very bad way. But if I speak and if I talk and if I act and I try to do things under God, God knows everybody around me. God knows what's right and what's wrong. My speech is subject to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. And I will try, I don't always do it, but I will try my best to follow him and to lean his way when I speak and when I do things. That's so important. And this is what Moses was saying to the people of Israel. This is what he was saying. He's saying, if you want to be a successful nation, obey these laws, do these things. And people will say of you, there's never been a nation like this ever before. Never. Because they follow the Lord. That's interesting, isn't it? I think we would do well if we would change our ways and follow the Lord.
you and I are going to be taking a look at the cities of refuge because covered in our reading today in Deuteronomy 4, a note is made that Moses set up three of the cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan River and their names are mentioned. So you and I are going to be taking a look more closely at these places uh, and, and how they were supposed to function and why that matters to our understanding of God and his character. Take a look. The Bible records the ancient Israelite institution of cities of refuge. Incorporated into the law of Moses, these cities were to be an essential element of the Israelite justice system. They offered temporary sanctuary to people accused of murder and permanent asylum for those found guilty of manslaughter, the accidental killing of another human. In ancient Israel, the law called for anyone found guilty of murder to be executed, with no other ransom deemed acceptable. Capital punishment enforced the sanctity of human life and protected the land against ritual impurity. The belief was that human blood tainted the very land in which it was spilled. If Israel was to be a holy nation with God as their leader, atonement had to be made for every intentional murder, every intentional assault against the leadership of God who had outlawed murder. There were still regulations on this capital punishment. First, someone accused of murder could gain initial sanctuary and safety by either grabbing onto the horns of an altar dedicated to God or by running to a city of refuge. The accused must then stand trial in front of an assembly of Israelites. To receive a guilty verdict, they must either admit to the crime or have two or more witnesses testify to their guilt. If found guilty, they would be executed by the avenger of blood, believed to be a close relative of the murdered person. If proven that death was accidental, the killer's safety was to be protected by the assembly who would escort them to the nearest city of refuge. If they chose to leave the city limits at any point, the avenger of blood could kill them without consequence. If the high priest died during their lifetime, the guilt of the person charged with manslaughter would be considered paid for and they would go free. The scriptures identify six cities of refuge, three on the east side of the Jordan River and three on the west side of the river. According to modern scholars, their placement meant that wherever you were in ancient Israel, you were no more than 30 miles or a full day's walk away from a city of refuge. Nevertheless, there must have arisen circumstances that necessitated a faster solution for temporary safety. And there are a few biblical examples. Adonijah, son of King David and rival to his half-brother, King Solomon, ran to the horns of the altar and initially, he was granted clemency, later to be killed. The disgraced army commander Joab was also initially granted sanctuary by grabbing onto the horns of the altar. He too was later killed for his crimes. These instances demonstrate and clarify the quick reference to altar sanctuary found in Exodus 21 verse 14, which likely supplied Israel before the promised land with a way to follow the murder laws. This was of course before the establishment of the cities of refuge. You know, a huge element of the Israelite life that carries on into the New Testament is this respect of blood as symbolic of the life of, uh, of a human being and even of animals. You know, life is in the blood, that, that teaching that carries through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we see here with cities of refuge uh, and the blood guilt 
had to be dealt with. Spilled blood on the ground needed to be dealt with between the people of Israel and God. They needed to take responsibility for this because any sort of murder of a human being was a destruction of the image of God, uh, you know, humanity being created in the image of God. And so this is an affront to God, an assault to God. And of course, the situation is really complicated when you bring in war and just war and and, um, capital punishment and all of this. I know that there's a lot of issues that we could talk about, but specifically, let's focus on the main thing, which was life, human life in particular, is God's domain. And uh, that was expected to be respected in Israel and even later on in the New Testament. Yeah, it's really important to remember that. And when today we're deciding between human life and animal life, and some people have said it's all the same, but it's not. Human life is very different. It's very sacred. And God, we have to understand that it's God who gave us human life. And we need to pay attention to that. Very good. Thank you, Corey. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Well, today I have a fun report about the river Arnon, which is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapters two, three and four. And in this segment, I want to explore the geography of the Arnon to see how important it was and is not just to human beings, but also to a lot of different wildlife. And part of what makes this river so unique is its very high and low elevations. It starts up high in the Arabian Mountains and ends off at the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the earth. Check it out. Since very ancient times, the river Arnon has played an important role as a territorial border. In fact, the Bible first mentions the Arnon as the boundary line between the Moabites and Ammonites, and would prove to be a key location for many years to come. This incredibly unique river system begins high up in the hills of northern Arabia before coursing westward down through a deep narrow gorge that eventually empties into the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the earth at 410 meters below sea level. Since the Arnon is 900 meters above sea level at its highest point, this means that it has a variation in elevation of 1300 meters or 4300 feet. Also adding to its flow is a network of seven connecting tributaries, referred to as the Valleys of the Arnon in the Biblical narrative. Although this river has since dried up into a wadi, now called the Wadi Mujib, the ancient importance of the river and of the towns in its vicinity is attested by the numerous ruins of bridges, forts, and buildings found upon or near it. Its forts are alluded to by Isaiah, and its heights, crowned with the castles of chiefs, were also celebrated in Numbers 21-28. Military campaigns in the wadis of the Arnon also form part of the subject matter of the now-lost Book of the Wars of the Lord, and there's even remains of an old Roman road and bridge. But the Arnon hasn't only been a hotspot for humans, it's also home to large amounts of wildlife. Because of its extreme changes in elevation, combined with the valley's year-round water flow from its seven tributaries, the Arnon enjoys a magnificent biodiversity that is still being explored and documented to this day. So far, over 300 species of plants, 10 species of carnivores, and numerous species of permanent and migratory birds have been recorded. Furthermore, some of the remote mountain and valley areas are difficult to reach and thus offer safe havens for rare species of cats, goats, and other mountain animals, such as the striped hyena, the Syrian wolf, the Karakal mountain cat, 
and one of the most endangered animals of the Yarnan, the Nubian ibex, which is a large mountain goat that became threatened as a result of overhunting. And despite the fact that the surrounding geography is mostly desert, the slopes of the mountainous land are very sparsely vegetated, with a steppe-type vegetation on plateaus. The less severe slopes are actually used by shepherds for the grazing of sheep and goats. Furthermore, groundwater seepage does occur in places along the Dead Sea shore, such as at the hot springs of Zara, which support a luxuriant thicket of acacia, tamarix, phoenix, and nerium, as well as a small marsh. Truly, the Arnon has been, and continues to be, an important place on planet Earth. So as you can see, the Arnon has been and remains to be a very important place. And although it's dried up some since then, it's an impressive sight even today. As a matter of fact, it's a very popular tourist attraction and you can actually pay for a tour guide to take you on a hike through its deep gorge. Something I hope that I get to do one day. But all that to say that the Bible isn't a book of fiction as some suppose. It records real events, real people, and real places. And that fact helps to substantiate its claim that it is the very word of God. But you know what? Don't take my word for it. Test it out for yourself. It's critically important because if the Bible is real and true, then it can't be ignored. Why? Well, because of the eternal implications. The Bible says that without the repentance of sin and without putting our trust in Jesus Christ, we will be eternally condemned. For the sake of our souls, then, shouldn't that be an investigation that we make without delay? Just think about it. Yeah, we should make that without delay because, again, the Bible is a book that was here long before our nations were ever here, was here long before humanity because it's eternal. And the Bible, the, the English translation we have is a translation of the original Hebrew and Greek. And we need to understand that this is God's word. And God's word speaks to us. In fact, it talks about the end of time as well as the beginning. Zechariah, what a great prophet. And the prophet speaks and tells us about the end of time. Revelation, written 2,000 years ago, also talks about the end of time. And this is all in the Bible, and, and we need to pay attention to it. Now, what does that mean here? What that means now is we should do in our time what we're called to do, and that is respond to Jesus. Jesus Christ is real. Is he fully God? Is he fully man? I think he was. I think he is, and I think he's still alive. The question is, what do you think? That's a good question. Because regardless of what you think about this program, me or anybody else, you've got to understand what you think about God. Is God real? And my suggestion is, yes, he is. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that he died on the cross and rose again, and you admit to him, Lord, I need your help. I'm a sinner. Help me to get out of the sin lifestyle. Help me to come out of that. Then everything will change. And if you're serious about it, it's really going to change how you live. Think that through and keep that in your heart. Okay, Janice, the question. The question. The question. Hmm. Dun, dun. <laughs> the question. The question. All right. Anywhere from Numbers chapter 21 through to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And before I answer that, I just want to put my little spin on reading the Bible. You know, one of the big things in our culture today is that we don't have time. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing. People don't have time. And then somebody or somebody told me about the Bible and, you know, it's an old book. Or they said this or they said that. But we don't take it personally. We should, we should take it personally. We should read it. 
One of the best things that happened in the pandemic shutdown of everything, we had record numbers of people get in touch with this ministry to say, you know what? I got time now to read my Bible. I want to read my Bible. And so many testimonies after testimonies after testimonies about going through the Bible, specifically in one year, 2020 and 2021, excellent years for people to really get in the Word of God. It changed them. And now they have a habit of reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's a good habit. It, th- there's not a second, a nanosecond of your time that is wasted when you spend it in God's Word. Okay, now for the question. <laughs> okay, All right, because it's a short question. Here it is. How many daughters did Zelophehad have? Did he have three, four, or five? How many daughters did Zelophehad <laughs> I can't answer. Have? I can't do anything no, because you can't. I've, you have I've to been sit restricted. Here. I'm off guard. Okay, I'm going to get that big no whining <laughs> sticker and plunk it. You might need to. You might need to. You might need to. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> All anyway. right. So I've given opportunity at home for you to think on this question. And Corey yes. and Ryan. We have, we, have an we have an answer. We have an answer. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. I believe the answer to be five. All right. And you, you concur with that? I definitely that? concur with that. All right. And you at home? You can ask me at some point, too. <laughs> do, you, do you think, would you like to be included, Ron? No, it's okay. In the answer? Five. You think five, too? <laughs> All right. Let's see. I'm going to read the portion of Scripture where the answer is, because it's important. You always need to check me up on the answers. Numbers 27, verse 1 says this, Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of his daughters. So now we've got to count them. Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka and Tirza, there was five. We did it. You did really right. good. You did it. Very, very good. Now, at least you didn't ask us to name them because I don't. That would have been mm. a, true. Maybe a little too tricky. Many I'm years ago, when we called it Bible IQ, and I would put your dad on the spot, he had to fill in oh, the name. Oh, that would be hard. And it was tricky. It I was. a lot of people say, "Oh, the questions are so hard," but actually, they're not too. It could too be worse. Bad. Could not be if you worse. read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to remind you that the Roku box is an excellent thing you can buy at Walmart or any of the stores. It is just great and it takes the internet, turns it into your TV, and you can download Bible Discovery Family and Friends. Bible Discovery Family and Friends. When you download it, you'll get our 24-7 streaming channel and all our programs and many others. So let's do that today. Let's pray. Lord, today I remember that it is you who are truly great and not me. Help us, Lord, to follow you. 